read the first eight verses together. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth that he had established some years earlier. He's writing them a letter. And during this section of the letter, he re-emphasizes and reminds them of the importance and the doctrine and teaching of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In verse 1 he begins, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, <clears throat> then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. One of the uh, great things about uh, Christianity in America right now is there is a new genre of movies that have started coming out and not, not just churches that are producing these movies, but large uh, Hollywood studios are now producing these movies and they're much better, higher quality. And so as a church, a couple of times a year, we've been taking a Sunday night and we've been going to watch a movie together as a congregation. And this past Sunday evening, we went to see the movie entitled The Case for Christ, based on the book by the same name, written by Lee Strobel. And to me, of all the movies that we've gone to see, this one was by far the best movie um, that, that we've watched. I really enjoyed it. And as I was watching the movie, and as I was listening and, and seeing the life of Lee Strobel lived out there as his wife began to seek for answers in life and she began to attend Bill Hybels Church in Chicago, Willow Creek Church there, and she became a Christian. Lee Strobel was an, an, an atheist. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning author, uh, um, a reporter. And so he set out on a course to disprove everything that she now said that she believed. I won't go into the whole movie. If they had followed the book, the movie would have been about four hours long. But it was just wonderful to watch the culmination of everything come together and how he became a Christian in trying to disprove Christianity. It proved, himself, it proved itself valid to him. This book, this morning, has been discredited, debunked, thrown under the bus for the last 2,000 years. Science has tried to disprove it. Philosophy has tried to disprove it. Psychiatry, psychology, every field has tried to do away with Scripture. Yet this morning, 2,000 years later, here we stand in awesome wonder of God's Word and how, what it reveals to us. And so this morning we want to look at one of the first historical accounts of the resurrection from a man who personally witnessed the resurrected body 
the resurrected physical presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, a man named the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, he says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. And if you watched the movie with us last week, you saw as the movie would progress how everyone that Lee Strobel went to, to uh, as he wanted to disprove Christianity, how he kind of felt sorry for those people, for their beliefs, and how they were wasting their lives. He kind of felt like they were pitiful in what they believed. The world looks at us this morning as we're gathered here, and a great segment of the world looks at us and feels sorry for us. They pity us because we have a belief in the resurrection. But my whole life hinges, everything about me hinges on the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul gives a great account here this morning in these first eight verses of chapter 15. He gives concrete evidence, indisputable proof, that Jesus Christ was physically resurrected from the dead. So in light of the changing view of the world about the foundational doctrine of the resurrection, it's important for us to have this knowledge of Scripture. Things are going well in the church in Corinth that Paul has established here some years earlier, but now false teachers have come in to the church at Corinth with false doctrines. And one of the things that they are saying is, is there's no resurrection from the dead for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul comes back now and he reinforces not only the resurrection of Jesus, but he will also reinforce the fact that we as believers will someday be resurrected in like manner. So first of all, we see in verses 1 and 2, a rightful reminder. How many of you have to have reminders every day? My, my youngest son, Bryson, I, I asked him a question last night, and he said to me, Daddy, you asked that same question three minutes ago, word for word. And I said, I did? And he said, yeah, you did. And he repeated back, and I said, oh, okay, well, I'm just reminding you how important it was. I have reminders on my phone. My phone dings during the day to remind me of where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. I have a reminder. I have a calendar on my desk that tells me where I am and where I'm, what I'm supposed to be doing. I have a reminder in my backpack, a day timer, that tells me where I am and what I'm supposed to be doing, and yet, still, I miss things. Still, I have to have my family reemphasize to me how important it is for me to remember what it is I'm supposed to be doing. And they're real good at it. Now, Paul wants to remind the church at Corinth of how important the resurrection of Jesus Christ is. He wants to reemphasize the resurrection. And he wants to share with them again their personal responsibility as believers in not only belief in the resurrection, but in sharing the, the account of the resurrection. Paul's account of the resurrection here is one of the earliest accounts. It's written around 52 A.D., about 20 years after the death of Jesus. Now, Paul had preached this exact same message to them in person five years earlier while he was there establishing this church. In verse number 1, he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the Gospels I preached to you, which you received. 
Paul is saying here in that last statement which you received, he's saying when I left you had a good understanding of this doctrine. You had a clear concept of what I was talking about when I said that Jesus not only had to die physically on the cross and be buried, but He also had to be resurrected. When I left you, you understood, but now you have let people creep in with false doctrines, and now you are wavering in what you believe. So I'm going to re-emphasize it to you. Now Paul had been converted five years after the resurrection. We know the story of the Apostle Paul. His name before he became Paul was Saul. We know that he was a leader of the Jews. He was an educated man. He was a Pharisee. He was on the fast track to be one of the great leaders in the Jewish world. He noticed the, the story of the resurrection of Jesus being spread all throughout Jerusalem. He noticed how many people were leaving the temples. How many people had started following after this teaching of the disciples about Jesus. And he becomes incensed by this to the point that he wants to completely stamp out this new religion, Christianity. And so he goes about trying his best. He imprisons people. He sanctions the deaths of people over the, the teaching of Jesus. And now we see a point there in Acts chapter 9 where he is on the way to Damascus to imprison people for the gospel of Jesus Christ but he encounters Jesus Christ himself on that road. Paul has told the people there in Corinth about meeting Jesus Christ on that road, about knowing Jesus Christ and seeing the resurrected Jesus Christ, seeing Him personally, knowing Him personally, and knowing Him so well that He changed His name from Saul to Paul because He never wanted to identify with his former life again. Let me say that's a great example for us this morning. If we're a Christian and we have, we have said we are a believer in Jesus Christ, we can no longer identify with the life we led before we knew Jesus. Paul was so strong about it that he changed his name. He sees Jesus resurrected. Now he emphasizes this because he's emphasizing the timetable here of which he's talking about him. Because some people criticize the Bible and say that the resurrection accounts are written 100 years or 200 years or 300 years after the death and burial of Jesus Christ. And so that these could be clouded in myth and they could be um, uh, misconstrued and, and they could be um, misinterpreted what was originally said. They say you can't believe what it says. They're not accurate. Now the Apostle Paul... And his memory is different. The Apostle Paul has one of the best educations of any man on the face of the earth at the time. The Apostle, the Apostle Paul is one of the most well-traveled men in his day. And now he's writing this with the help of the Holy Spirit. So he absolutely remembers everything about his encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, can you remember significant moments in your life? Think about five years ago. Can you remember significant moments in your life five years ago? Bree and I were, yesterday we were um, doing work in the, in the yard at the house uh, most all day. And I said to her, you know, ten years ago, 
we wouldn't have been able to do this on a Saturday. We would have been uh, at a, base, a baseball field somewhere playing baseball, and by the time we got home, we wouldn't have felt like doing any of this. And it was a reminder that, you know, 10 years ago, the boys were 9 and 6, and life was different. 20 years ago, life was different. We had moved into a, we'd been in a new house for a little while. We didn't even have any children at the time. I remember those significant moments. It was just me, Bree, and a dog named Chester. Life was so simple. Then those children came along. We remember those things. We remember those markers. We remember marriages, births, baptism, graduations. We remember significant events in history. Those who are of my generation, we remember exactly where we were the moment that we heard about the attack on the World Trade Center. We remember exactly where we were. I remember vividly one morning I had worked third shift the night before and my mother waking me up and saying, you need to come see what's on the television. The Challenger uh, explosion. I remember so vividly that historical moment. Some of you are older. You can remember the Kennedy assassination or Pearl Harbor maybe even. Some of you are that old. You remember those markers. Well, Paul here is only 12 years removed from his, account, his remarkable encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, it's not only a marker in his life, but it is one of the defining markers in human history because at that moment, Jesus Christ chose His apostle to the Gentiles. Up until that point, the gospel had been preached pretty much exclusively to Jews. God knew that He wanted to take this gospel to the world and He chose Paul to be that evangelist, that missionary, that apostle who would do that. So not only is this moment important in Paul's life, but it is a significant marker in history because it is how God would use a man to bring the gospel to us this morning. And so Paul cautions the people. He says, in verse number 2, he says, By which you are now being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. They were told to hold fast to their personal belief in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were told to understand and to go back to what Paul had taught them in the beginning and to know that the things that they were being told now were false and they could use the facts that Paul had presented to them to squash these false teachings. He gives them a warning against non-saving faith. He says this disingenuous faith, faith could be because the object of their faith wasn't the resurrected Jesus, but it was rules, rituals, and religious things that these people were trying to bring in. In other words, these people were saying to the people there in Corinth, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus wasn't enough. The grace that He showed there at Calvary, the grace that He is extending to you is not, wasn't enough. Yeah, that's important, but you've also got to add all these rituals, these rules, these religious things to it. And now the, the, the doctrines at Corinth have been corrupted. I've witnessed to people before and shared the gospel with them. And they, and they would tell me, well, you know, well, my mom said that, yeah, I could accept Jesus, but then I had to do this and this and this. And, you know, and I would say, I've had people say to me, 
well, I can't be good enough to live that life. To which I say, great, because I can't either. No one can. We sing a song often that says, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. What, what Paul is saying here, that anyone who comes into your church, anyone who comes there to Corinth and says that it is Jesus plus anything, then they're a heretic. If it's Jesus plus works and rules and regulations, then they're a heretic. Jesus paid it all. And he's saying you have to be careful of these teachings and these doctrines that are coming into your church. And I love you so much that I sat down to write a letter to remind you of how important the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is. So he gives that, and then in verses 3 and 4, he gives a reflective view. He gives a summary statement of the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tells about his personal experience. In verse number 3, he says, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. He's saying, what I'm telling you is not something secondhand. This is my own personal account of seeing Jesus Christ after He was resurrected. He says it's of first importance, which means it's the most important things. Some things are absolutely non-negotiable about the gospel. Some things are absolutely non-negotiable about what we believe about God's Word. Now, I have been studying over the last couple of weeks, I've been studying the creation. And I have been studying um, multiple authors about the creation account and about what they believe about creation. Now, I grew up a literal believer in what the Scripture said there. God created the earth and how many, uh, how, created everything we see in how many days? Six. Six 24-hour days. In theology, that's called fiat um, theology. That God created everything we see in six 24-hour days. Now, I've been studying four or five different options to that. There's a gap theory that says that in between verse number 1 and verse number 2 in Genesis 1, that there was a gap of millions of years, and that uh, that explains all of the fossils and all the things we see. There are evolutionary... Um, evolutionary creationists there are progressive creationists that say that the earth is billions of years old and that you know you can't dispute science and fossils and I've read all these accounts and here's what I went back to the Bible said that God created the earth in six days and I'm not going to argue with it alright now here's what I want to say you can believe you can believe that there's a gap between verse 1 and 2 and you can still get the resurrection right. You can believe that there was evolutionary creation. You can still get the resurrection right. You can still be saved. You can believe in an old earth theory that the earth is billions of years old. And you can still get the resurrection right and be a Christian. But it doesn't matter what you believe about creation if you get the resurrection wrong. Understand me. No matter what you believe about anything else in Scripture, if you get the resurrection wrong, you're lost. Jesus died, He was buried, and He rose three days later, 
And he was, Paul is giving an account here that is indisputable facts. If we believe anything differently about the resurrection than that, then we're lost. It doesn't matter what we, it doesn't matter who uh, Cain married when he left, when, when he was cast. It doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter. All those questions that people sit around, we have to get the resurrection right. We're here this morning because of the resurrection. We're celebrating this morning. We've sang about the resurrection. It is important that we get it right and that we understand it. It is important that we're teaching it correctly. Paul, it was so important to him that he went back and re-emphasized this to this church in Corinth. So we need to be sure that we are right about the resurrection more than anything else. Um, it doesn't matter what I say or how eloquently I can say it if I can't validate what I say with personal experience. I visit hospitals. I go into rooms. See people in ICU. They've had a quadruple bypass. I sit, I talk to them, I pray with them. I come back here to the office. One of the ladies in the office or some staff member will say, well, how's so-and-so? Just had a quadruple bypass. I'll say something like this. They're doing fine. They look good. Now, I've never had a quadruple bypass. Probably a good candidate for it. So how can I know how they feel? I can't, I can't give first-hand account. Well, they look like just like I did when I had my quadruple bypass. Alright? Paul is saying here, I understand. I had first-hand account. I love you. I embrace you. I understand what you're going through. I have first-hand knowledge, not just speculation. And I want to help you understand the resurrection. I want to tell you this morning as a congregation, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have first-hand knowledge of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because spiritually you were raised from the dead. You have first-hand knowledge of the resurrection because your life was resurrected from death. When we go through the waters of baptism and you go underneath the water, you are symbolically saying that I have, my life has been, my old life and my sins have been buried just as Jesus was buried. And when you come from the water, you are saying, I have a new life and I'm following Jesus and I'm resurrected and He's my Savior. It's important. The world needs to know your personal experience. If, if that is your personal experience, you need to share it. It's a purposeful event. The last uh, part of verse number 3 here. It says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. Everything that happened was done to fulfill Scriptures. If you're here this morning and you say, I'd love to know how to share my faith and tell other people what I believe, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 is an easy way for you to do that. Jesus became the atoning sacrifice for sins by being crucified on a cross. He took your place there that day. Earlier in this letter, in verse number 18 of the first chapter, Paul said that the message of the cross is what defines us as believers as well as empowers us. 
If you take away the cross, you remove the hope of forgiveness and the promised redemption from God. Paul gives precise evidence. He becomes an apologist. He becomes a, a first-hand account here. He was the greatest antagonist of Christianity. He has now become its greatest evangelist and missionary. It changed his life. Jesus, going back to the Gospel of Matthew, as he begins to, his journey to Jerusalem, in chapter number 16 a few weeks ago, we looked at Peter's confession and saying that you are the Son of God. Jesus began to tell His disciples, I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to suffer. I have to be killed. But I will rise again. Paul tells us that the church now, the apostles are gone. But now the church has a responsible responsibility of proclaiming changed lives as a result of the resurrection. So who have you told? Who have you told about the resurrection? Because the Apostle Paul is telling us here, it is your responsibility as a church now to tell. It's the centerpiece of our Christian faith. It validates, it authenticates the ministry of Jesus and why He came. It assures us that He defeated our last enemy. Every person here this morning will someday face death. But now, because of what Jesus has done, we are offered eternal life when we believe in Him. Romans 6.5 says it this way, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So now Paul, in these last few verses, gives a ratifying resurrection. He validates everything that he said with historical fact. He mentions the people who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. He singles out Peter and James, who were two of his closest followers, the two of the closest followers to Jesus. And then he says, not only was he seen by Peter and James, but by 500 brothers at one time. Now you think about that. 500 people at one time. Now, if Cameron and I were to go out after church this afternoon and we were to go fishing out at First Bridge out in Bago, and we were to be there and we were to see dolphins, a school of dolphins there underneath First Bridge in Vigo. And we were to come back to town to Piedmont and we were to tell every we were to start stopping people saying, listen, there's a school of dolphins out at First Bridge at Vigo. You need to go see them. Well, obviously they're going to look at us and say, y'all are hallucinating. Y'all are crazy. You're hallucinating. Now, if only Peter and James had gone, only two people had gone and said, we see, we've seen the resurrected Jesus. We, we've seen Him. Well, two people could have the same hallucination, don't you think? But if there were 500 people at First Bridge this afternoon with Cameron and myself, and they all saw the dolphins, and they all saw the school, and they all saw them playing, and it wouldn't just be mine and Cameron's word, but 500 people would be hard to dispute, wouldn't it? 
Paul is saying here, 500 brothers saw Jesus. Now, you can't find any psychiatrist who will tell you that 500 people could have the same hallucination. Paul, Paul is saying here, it's fact that I'm telling you. He mentions his own fateful encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. Like an attorney, he presents his case. Look at verses 5 through 8 here. He says, In that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He mentions his own fateful encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. He builds a consensus of evidence that proves the reality of the resurrection. Paul continues to emphasize that if Christ had not been raised from the dead, our claims and our faith have no foundation. That without the resurrection, we are most pitiful. Now, no other person's death and burial can be considered good news. I've been with lots of people when they received the news that a loved one had passed away. This past week, one of our church members called me and asked me to come and visit with another one of our church members who's homebound, who just found out that their brother had passed away. And when I went into the home and I sat with this lady, she said, Michael, I know that I'll be with him again. I know I'm going to be with him again. But even with that, there was grief. There was, there was um, a feeling of, of separation. There was a feeling of loss. Because it's on this side of God's economy. It's on this side of His plan. But here's what we know. Jesus' death and burial was followed by a resurrection. It's indisputable. And we can't compromise on that position. Jesus' death and burial was followed by a resurrection. And nothing has been the same since. And because of that, you and I have the same opportunity also. Paul says these words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with our Lord. Therefore, encourage one another, with these words. Because 
of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, someday I will meet death in this life. And someday they will take me to a, a burial plot. But here's what I want you to understand. At that moment when I meet death, my life has really just begun. Because Jesus conquered death when He rose from the grave. Jesus conquered the greatest foe of all humanity, which was death, which was brought about by the sin in Genesis chapter 3 and had been the problem throughout all humanity and is still the problem today. Jesus overcame it because He died for those sins and because He was resurrected. And this morning, I want you to know and understand that someday you will meet death, but you can be victorious over that death because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary and because of His resurrection. And this morning, Easter celebration, we sit here and we say that we believe the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We believe it. And that's why we're here. Then let's live it. Then let's live it. Let's be together each Sunday. Let's meet together for fellowship each Sunday. Let's meet together for the Word of God to be open and exposed to us. Let's raise our children to know and understand the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's make sure that nothing interferes with our children being here and being a part of this fellowship. Let's make sure that through our lives and, and as we live, that as we leave this place, that we leave with a heart that is full of Jesus and wants to share Him with other people. Let's leave with a heart of compassion and mercy that says that we will be the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere we go. And that when we come together, we will bring those who we have led to Christ from outside, and we will bring them into this fellowship and disciple them so that they grow in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, the resurrection is the dividing point of all history. It's the most important event that ever happened. And this morning, I want to share with you that I know Jesus Christ personally, just as Paul did. I haven't met him physically face to face the way that Paul did, but I have met him in my life, and my life is different because of it. This morning, I want to give you that opportunity where you are to come to know Christ as your Savior. We're going to do an invitation time this morning, and we're going to do it like this. The first part of this invitation is going to be, if you're here this morning, <coughs> and you don't know, Christ is your Savior, the way that I have laid it out here in Scripture. The first part of this invitation is for you on this Easter Sunday to come and know Christ is your Savior. Maybe you're here this morning and you are, uh, you are a follower of Christ, but you've never followed through in baptism or church, or you need to unite with this church. The second part of this will be for you. Why is it important to be baptized? Because Jesus was baptized and because He told us to be baptized. That's why I was baptized. Why is it important to be a part of a church fellowship? 
all through the New Testament scriptures, they met together and edified each other, lifted each other up. It's important. So this morning, I'm going to ask Micah to come. I'm going to ask you to stand as we pray. Before Micah begins playing this morning, I want to share the gospel with you this way. Jesus Christ came into this earth for one purpose, to give His life for you at Calvary for your sins, to be crucified, to be buried, and to be resurrected. He lived a completely sinless life, and He was the only one who could be our sacrifice that day. Only Jesus. I left here last Sunday morning in agony after I gave the invitation because I knew that there were people here who needed Christ who didn't respond. This morning, there's a, there's a good crowd of people here, but don't let anything hinder you from responding to the invitation to know Christ as your Savior. Would everyone bow their heads with me this morning? With everyone here reverently seeking God, I want to ask some of you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you make Him Lord and Savior of your life today? Would you give Him your life completely on this Easter Sunday? Would you say to Him, Jesus, I may not understand everything there is to know about Scripture. I don't understand all it, but I have faith in You and what's been preached here this morning. And I want to know eternal life with You. This morning I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you're here this morning and you need to know Christ as your Savior, I would ask that you pray along with me from your heart. And I would ask that you would allow God to lead you this morning during this time. Pray with me like this. Father, I am a sinner and my sin separates me from you. I believe this morning as it has been preached that Jesus died for my sins and that He rose from the grave and that He is alive to be my Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, and I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I want to learn more about Jesus, and I want to live the rest of my life.